Hello, I'm Geoffrey Wyatt, Senior Astronomy Educator here at Sydney Observatory, and I'll be talking to you about the sky this month for December. Ooh, remember, of course, December is the 10th month of the old Roman calendar, uh, but it's the 12th month of our Gregorian calendar that we use these days. Of course, you'll need a few bits and pieces to help you with this sky guide, and that is, of course, a printed copy of our star map available from www.sydneyobservatory.com, or, of course, if you have your Australian Sky Guide handy, that is always a bonus. We are all stars that have learned to think. Wow. I can't remember who said it. It's been attributed to Paul Dirac, but I've yet to confirm that, a very famous uh, British physicist early last century, one of the founders of quantum uh, mechanics. And that's an amazing statement. We are all stars that have learned to think. And perhaps this is why we like to sit down, look up at the stars, look up at the night sky and wonder. Our sun, of course, is just the nearest star to us. We can stretch out our hand and feel the warmth coming from it. And it is a magnificent sensation, as long as, of course, you don't get sunburnt. But the sun is just an ordinary star like so many that we see in the night sky, except that it's nice and close. Well, what we're going to do is wait till our nearest neighbour, the sun, has gone down in the western horizon. We're going to wait till it's a little bit dark and we're going to start off and cast our view toward the west. I need you to find somewhere where it's uh, relatively high so you don't have trees or buildings directly in your view and you need to be able to find your cardinal directions of north, east, south and west. Of course, it's always handy to have a, a blanket to sit on, although it's a lovely warm summer's evening, hopefully. So something to sit on, perhaps a glass of wine to accompany the sky show, and a pair of binoculars always helps. I'll come back to that statement a little bit later, we are stars that have learned to think, because when we look at the stars, what we're looking at are in fact nuclear furnaces, some of them close, with only 150 million kilometres away, and others, of course, billions of kilometres away. In fact, we don't use kilometres these days. When we talk about stellar distances, we talk about light years and then something even further away, the parsec and megaparsec. But obviously there's a lot of things out there for us to look at. What I want you to do is to start off and wait till the glow of sunset's just about faded, look towards the west, and I want you to look at the star located at 23 hours right ascension and 30 degrees declination south. Huh? Which star is that? And that highlights a bit of a problem that we have when we look around the night sky. There are many ways of identifying objects. Whether we use the celestial equivalent of longitude and latitude, whether we use uh, azimuth, which is de degrees measured east of north and altitude degrees above the horizon, or whether we use something a little easier and that would be constellations. You see, depending on your age and your eyesight, you should be able to see between two and 3,000 stars. It's almost impossible, I would suggest, that most people would be able to remember the positions of all those stars. But what astronomers have done dating back thousands of years, and perhaps one of the first people to do it was uh, Claudius Ptolemy, was to make up a map of stars in the night sky and break them up into easily recognisable areas, or if you like, suburbs in the sky. We now have 88 of these constellations, and some of them are very famous, such as, well, Virgo, Leo, and a few of the others of the Zodiac, 
and some of them not so famous, such as Fornax. Hmm. What we're going to do now is start off and look towards the west and about 30 degrees above the horizon we'll see a fairly bright star. This star is the brightest star in the constellation of Pisces Australis, the southern fish. Its name is Fomalo, which means the mouth of the whale in Arabic. Now Fomalo is the brightest star in this constellation, but there's not a whole lot else to it. And all I'd like you to be able to see is perhaps a, a 1960s style paisley swirl. So if you can see anything in the western horizon, about 30 degrees up, that looks like a paisley swirl with one bright star, then you're looking at the southern constellation of Pisces Sestrinus. How would you measure 30 degrees? Uh, it's not easy for some people. If you're used to the stars in the sky, you could look up and say, well, directly overhead is 90 and halfway up is 45, so 30 degrees is two-thirds of halfway up. But goodness, that gets confusing. So as a rule of thumb, most people can use something like the following. If you hold out your clenched fist at arm's length, that's roughly 10 to 12 degrees. Your finger, your pinky as it were, held out at arm's length is roughly one degree or twice the size of the full moon. So you can use your, your clenched fist, indeed your outstretched fingers from thumb tip to pinky tip, and that's about 15 degrees or a little bit more depending on the size of your fist. So we can use something like this to make it slightly easier to navigate. Fomalo is less than 300 million years old. Now for stars, that's relatively young. And it's only about 25 light years away. Remember that a light year is the distance that light travels in one year. And if you're a pedant and you want to know that number, well, it's roughly nine and a half thousand billion kilometers in one light year. So this star at 25 light years away, for you and I, is a huge distance. But astronomically, it's relatively close. And what's curious about this star being so young, the Hubble Space Telescope has recently been able to detect the birth of planets around this star. So when you look at this star with the naked eye, I want you to consider this is what the young solar system may have looked like four to five billion years ago we may be watching the evolution and the birth of our younger sibling. So that's Fomalo. What I want you to do now is go ever so slightly to your left, if we're facing west, so ever so slightly to the left will take us to the south just a little bit, and we're going to look for the long-necked bird, Grus the Crane. Continue to your left, or as I said, to the south a little bit, but this time we're going up relatively high to about 60 degrees above the horizon. Now 60 degrees, remember, that will be uh, four hand spans of outstretched thumb to pinky, and that'll be roughly in the right direction towards the south, and we'll be able to see the eighth brightest star in the night sky, and that is Akinar, or the river's end in Arabic. And what we're looking at here is a star that's about 3,000 times more luminous than the Sun and about 144 light years away. It's also the eighth brightest star in the night sky as we look almost due south, so it's a fairly easy star to see. Akinar is at the end of the river, the river of Eridanus, the constellation that winds its way across from the deep south 
zigzagging across the sky back towards the heel of Orion that we'll talk about a little bit later. Ironically, at the end of the river, it's a star to which some indigenous communities of this country refer to as a star that you should never visit because it represents the place where the two Kungara brothers, represented by the large and small Magellanic clouds, take bad people at the end of their life to meet a fairly nasty end, pretty much over a roasting fire. So Akinar, the end of the river, is also the, I suppose, the end of the line for some bad people. Interestingly, Akinar, high up in the south, is also the least spherical star that we've seen to date in the Milky Way. You see, it spins so quickly that its diameter is about 50% wider in the equatorial plane than it is in the polar plane. So anything that spins tends to flatten out at the top and the bottom. The sun does this, the earth even does this, but Akinar spins so quickly there is a 50% difference between the equatorial and the polar diameters. That is one seriously fast-moving star. And by the way, it's directly opposite the south celestial pole from the constellation that many people wish to see at this time of year, but it just can't be seen. That constellation is, of course, the Southern Cross, or Crooks. So if you're looking for the Southern Cross in December, forget it. You're not going to be able to see it unless you get up at about 3am onwards and you'll see it coming up into the view in the southeast. But at this time of year, at a convenient time of night, there is no chance of seeing the Southern Cross. Moving from south, where we've just had a look at Achenar, we're going to round to the southeast and we're going to look at the second brightest star in the night sky, which is called Canopus. Canopus is a very bright star. It's about 15,000 times more luminous than the Sun, and we know it to be about 310 light years away. It's one of the more famous stars in the sky because it's part of a, a now defunct constellation of Argo the ship, which was a very famous ship from the stories dating back to the Trojan Wars. So Jason and the Argonauts used to have a ship called Argo, but this constellation represented in the sky was too big an area, so astronomers broke it up into four smaller constellations, and Canopus is the brightest star in what we now call Carina the Keel. But again, that used to be part of a much larger constellation, a fairly famous one, dating back to the Trojan Wars. While you're looking at Canopus, the second brightest star in the night sky, just drop down a little bit, and you may be able to see the False Cross. Now, I did mention that you can't see the Southern Cross, but at this time of year, we do start to pick up the False Cross rising in the southeast, and this does confuse a lot of people. The False Cross is not really a constellation. It's an asterism, which means it's made up of stars from just different parts of the sky to make up a picture. And it does confuse people over the summer months. It's bigger and not as bright as the real Southern Cross, but more importantly, it does not have two bright pointer stars that point to the real cross. If we go from Canopus around toward the east, we can see just about 20 degrees, so two clenched fists above the eastern horizon, a star that is 25 times more luminous than the sun at just 8.6 light years away. Yeah, 8.6 light years is not very far. So this is one of the closest stars that we can see. It is the brightest star in the night sky. It is Sirius the dog star. 
Look, with a little imagination and with the map that you're looking at, you should be able to make out a fairly simple stick figure of a dog rising in the east. But there's just one very bright star, and that is Sirius, which of course shares its name with a ship from the First Fleet, and of course one of the characters in the series of books about Harry Potter. But Sirius is an important star. It was used thousands of years ago by Egyptians to work out the length of the year in something called heliacal rising. They would measure the position of this star rising in the east and they would look at the diminishing uh, distance or difference between it and the sun rising in the morning. And when they got to the very, very minimum difference between the two, they knew that that was their, their starting point, if you like. And that's how they were able to work out that the length of the year was 365 and a quarter days. Not bad, considering they did this several thousand years ago. The appearance of Sirius is also quite important to several indigenous communities across Australia because most stars are used for two things, and that is as some sort of calendar marker and secondly as a form of navigation. Well, the appearance of Sirius in the sky at this time of year was used by certain communities as a symbol to start looking for uh, dingo pups, which apparently made for good eating. So if you're a young dingo pup, the appearance of Sirius in the night sky is not necessarily a good thing. Continue ever so slightly towards the east-northeast. So we're continuing on our journey around the sky, and we're going to look fairly close to the horizon, just one outstretched uh, finger span from pinky to thumb, above the horizon and you'll see the ninth brightest star in the night sky and it is of course the incredible Beit al-Yaza or House of the Central One. You'll have to excuse my Arabic pronunciation of that which has evolved over the years and we now actually refer to this star as Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is a star that's 135,000 times more luminous than the Sun. It is 1,000 times the diameter of the Sun, and yet it's only, at most, about 10 million years old. For such a massive star to be so red, so bright, and so big, it can mean only one thing. You are looking at the death of a star. As I mentioned earlier, we are the stars that have learned to think. The most massive of stars, which eventually blow up as a supernova, produce all sorts of spectacular elements, elements of the periodic table which somehow combine to make and form us and every other living creature in the universe. So we are, in fact, pieces of star that have learned to think. And this dying star, Betelgeuse, who knows if it will become a supernova? Probably not. I don't think it's quite big enough. But when it dies, it will shed its outer layers, and the outer layers will move out through space, eventually to be recycled and evolve. Who knows into what? If you've located this star, this red dying star of Betelgeuse, it represents these days the armpit of the hunter Orion. Orion is one of the more famous constellations right around the world. It sits upon the celestial equator, so it's visible easily from the northern hemisphere and from the southern hemisphere. And if you look very carefully, you'll see near the middle of the constellation a very nice straight line made up of three stars. These sit very close to the celestial equator, by the way. 
Now, Australians, Kiwis and South Africans identify themselves readily as saying that these stars look like the base of a traditional saucepan that we might use to cook some spaghetti. You see, in the Southern Hemisphere, we see everything the right way up. Well, of course, people in the Northern Hemisphere would say that we don't. In fact, that we see it upside down. But we'll leave that argument for another day. Since this constellation was named from the Northern Hemisphere, we do see it not quite so much as a, an upside-down hunter, but as a saucepan. Now, what I want you to do is to look at the three stars that form the base of the saucepan, then go up each side. If you look carefully, you'll see another three star-like objects close together that form the handle. If you have a pair of binoculars, a small telescope, just about any optical device, and you can put it nice and still onto a tripod or wedge it up against a tree or something like that, look at the middle star-like object of the handle of the saucepan, or the sword of Orion. And what you're looking at there is an object by the name of M42. Not a typically glorious name, but what you're looking at is the birth of about 700 baby stars 1,300 light years away in a cloud of gas. The birth of stars. Betelgeuse is dying, but nearby we see the birth. This is one of the most spectacular objects you can ever see through a telescope. It's a huge cloud of collapsing hydrogen gas that's about 24 light years in diameter. It is a truly spectacular object to look at. If we continue and follow Orion's belt towards the northeast, we get to see another orange-reddish star. This star is at the base of an upside-down V, which represents the head of Taurus the bull. The star Aldebaran. It's about 150 times more luminous than the sun and 65 light-years away, making it the 13th brightest star in the night sky. Its Arabic name means it is the follower. But the follower of what? Well, very close by. If you look carefully, you'll see a little cluster of stars. Now, these aren't baby stars, but this cluster of stars that we're about to look at are, in fact, stars that are in the stellar nursery, perhaps. These are stars of the Pleiades, or M45, one of the most beautiful clusters in the night sky. And it is ever so slightly to the left of the bright star Aldebaran, at about 25 degrees, or one outstretched uh, pinky to thumb, and then one clenched fist above the horizon. Dominated by hot, young blue stars less than, well, probably about 150 million years old, this cluster of stars 444 light years away is an absolute beautiful object to look at. Astronomers love it. Astronomy students hate it because it's just about in every astronomy exam you can ever imagine. Why? Well, what you're looking at is the nearest thing we have to a controlled situation. You have a group of stars that were formed at the same time. They're at the same distance. They're formed from one big gas cloud, so they have the same chemical composition. So the only difference here is their mass. So this is about as controlled situation as we can get. And as a result, this cluster of young stars is commonly looked at by astronomy teachers and suffering students. But really, it's just a beautiful group of stars that represents Atlas, who carried the world upon his shoulders, his wife, Pleione, and their seven daughters. And that gives you a bit of a hint as to their common name. 
for some strange reason and we don't know why but almost all around the world this group of stars is referred to as the seven sisters i don't know why it's not the seven hills of rome but it just seems to be that most cultures refer to this beautiful group of stars as seven sisters and even more curious if you look carefully you won't see seven most people see six and if you've got good eyesight you might see eight or nine but universally referred to as the seven sisters even some indigenous communities have a fantastic story about the woody guttara and the minima burni and this refers to seven sisters who descended from the heavens to form all the living creatures on the earth but one of the sisters left the group and fell in love with the spirit man and they stayed on earth to become the parents of the earth but time and time again we see this idea of seven sisters that really is quite quite unusual as we continue almost due north at this stage we can see just one relatively bright star in the zodiac constellation of Aries the ram it's not particularly noteworthy because unfortunately Aries is small but Hamal is the brightest star and basically you'll see three stars together although if you join the dots it's slightly bent now Aries the ram of course represents the golden fleece the golden fleece that Jason and the Argonauts aboard the ship Argo Navis pursued in the story of Jason and the Argonauts this is one of the most famous sky stories that we have so many constellations keep referring back to the search for the golden fleece and Jason and the Argonauts but sadly as you look at Aries you can only see about three stars can you continue moving well, a little bit over towards the north by northwest and if you look carefully and depending how much light is around you might be able to make up four stars that form a square you might think well big deal it's a square yes but not just any square the great square of Pegasus the flying horse it is a very romantic constellation to look at and if you do look carefully you will be able to see that it has a long neck and then the head going down to the nose it has two tiny little legs out the front but more importantly for a, a flying horse it does not appear to have any wings oh dear I think perhaps whoever made up some of these constellations thousands of years ago missed a little bit of the detail or perhaps enjoyed a little too much red wine the main thing is as long as you can see a square you're looking at the square of Pegasus wrapped around Pegasus is another one of the zodiac constellations which is really difficult to see it looks like two little circular groups of stars joined together by a large V shape so you've got to join the dots and use your imagination and look for these two little circles joined by a V that wraps around that great square and what you're looking at there are the, the gods Venus and her son Cupid tied together by a piece of thread so that when they swim to safety as Pisces or Pisces the fish they won't get lost or separated so there you have the zodiac constellation Pisces we now continue back around toward the west where we started and it's very difficult to see but going down in the west will be the zodiac constellation of Capricornus the sea goat it looks a bit like a triangle but I think it's a bit too low for us to worry about at this stage 
So what we've done, we've started looking west and we've moved around to our left all the time, going from the west to the south to the east to the north and back again. We haven't actually looked so much overhead. Well, why not? Well, quite simple really. At this time of year, there's not a whole lot directly overhead. Yeah, sure, there are stars up there, but the constellations of Fornax the Furnace, Phoenix the Bird, Cetus the Sea Monster or Whale, and Sculptor aren't really high on the list of things to look at. Sure, some of them are, are interesting, but they're not terribly bright, and unfortunately some of them, such as Sculptor, are one of these constellations that were, if you like, manufactured in the 18th century by Nicholas Louis de la Cale. So they're not terribly bright and there's not much up there. All the action for this month is within 40 to 60 degrees of the horizon all the way around. And that also explains why we can't see any of the Milky Way. If you're outside looking for that beautiful glow, that river in the sky, Via Lactea, it's not visible now. You have to wait until much later in the evening or early morning and you'll see it coming up in the in the eastern sky. But at this time of night, you cannot see any of the Milky Way. But don't forget, everything, absolutely everything you see in the night sky, apart from three objects, is part of the Milky Way family. Those three objects are the great galaxy in Andromeda, which is just near the, the lower right corner of Pegasus that we talked about a minute ago, and the two clouds of Magellan, which will be visible towards the south. But everything else, the dimmest of stars, the brightest of stars, is all part of the Milky Way. For the month of December 2009, there are, of course, several special events. The full moon will occur on the 2nd at 6.30pm, last quarter on the 9th of December at 11.13am, the new moon, when the moon is roughly between us and the sun and you can't see it, will be on the 16th at 11.02pm, and first quarter, which is the best time to look through a pair of binoculars or a small telescope, will be on Christmas Day the 25th at 4.36am. By the way, do you know the Latin name for the sun? I think most of us do. It's Sol. Do you know what it is to stand still in Latin? Sistere. Now, my pronunciation may be quite bad, but if you combine Sol and Sistere, you end up with solstice. The summer solstice, when the sun appears to be still in declination, which means it's reached its most southerly point as we look at it, will occur on the 22nd of December at 4.47am. December this year, and in fact every year, is a good time to see the Geminid meteor shower. And for December 2009, it will peak on the morning of the 14th and the 15th. Now the Geminids are a meteor shower caused by an object known as 3200 Phaeton which is thought to be an extinct comet or an Apollo asteroid. Now, meteor showers, the, usually the best time to see them is in the early morning. But these meteors, coming from the constellation of Gemini, the twins, will be best viewed from about 11pm onwards. So, relatively early in the night as far as meteors are concerned. So, locate Gemini very late in the evening and watch it until about an hour or so 
before sunrise and you're almost guaranteed to see a small shooting star moving it up to 35 kilometers per second. Please remember, shooting stars are not stars. They are small pieces of dust or rock entering the Earth's atmosphere, heating up and burning up. As we look towards the west in December 2009, there will be one astoundingly bright object, and that is in the constellation of Capricornus, the sea goat, Jupiter, king of the gods, largest of all the planets, and most significant of the planets, considering this year being the International Year of Astronomy. For it was this planet that Galileo pointed his telescope at in 1610, and his view, his observations of the moons of Jupiter changed our perception of the universe forever. You see, people used to believe that the Earth was the centre of everything. But Galileo's observations showed moons orbiting Jupiter. Now, even with a good pair of binoculars, you may be able to pick out the four moons of Jupiter. So please, don't miss the opportunity to have a look at Jupiter low in the western sky throughout December. On the 21st of December you'll be able to see a very young crescent moon. Only about 20% of the moon will be visible immediately below Jupiter. So immediately after sunset, it should be a pretty nice view. There's not much of a chance to see the ever-elusive Mercury because it sticks so close to the sun. But on the 18th, just after sunset, the very young crescent moon will be just below it. So try and see Mercury just above the crescent on the 18th. In the morning sky, Mars continues to be completely underwhelming, so I wouldn't even bother to look for it, but it's a small reddish-looking dot in the constellation of Leo the Lion, whereas Saturn now continues to improve its view after its September ring plane crossing. So the rings over the next six to seven years will gradually open up, giving us a better view day by day. And at the moment, Saturn is in the constellation of Virgo. Don't forget, if you'd like to get some more information about what's visible in the night sky, you can purchase your 2010 copy of the Australian Sky Guide by Dr Nick Lom, or visit our website for more details at www.sydneyobservatory.com. This is Geoffrey Wyatt, and I'd just like to remind you again, you are indeed stars that have learned to think. <laughs>